0: you are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like Him. Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land.
1: Great. Thank you for the reading. And uh, it's great to see you all here this evening. And we're getting into Isaiah again uh, tonight as we go through our series in Isaiah. Um, Under that big question, how do we get to Zion? Zion is this end time hope vision of Jerusalem, God's city in God's land, inhabited by God's people, uh, and, and that's where he rules from. Zion is the vision of that place restored and reaching its fullness and bringing a blessing to the whole world, and that's the hope that is consistently gone back to and proclaimed in the Old Testament, that God is going to use Jerusalem, Zion, to bless the whole world. So that's the, that's the big sort of our uh, journey we're on, how do we get there, as I explains, how do we get to Zion. But tonight, the particular question before us is, um, why herald to the heart of heart? So there's a particular passage tonight we're looking at, chapter 6 and 7, and it helps us to wrestle with this question, and you'll see how it fits in the bigger picture later on. But here's the question, uh, why herald to the heart of heart? Why speak the gospel to people who do not want to hear it? I'm sure you've been in that kind of situation, right, where the gospel feels feeble. Um, You don't want to proclaim Jesus. You don't want to talk to someone um, about the gospel because it feels like it's not the right moment or it's a bit embarrassing or you just know it won't be well received. Perhaps you know or you feel like they will get angry if you tell um, about Jesus. I remember one time in uh, Sydney when I was studying there at a Bible college, Um, I think I'd actually just finished, and there was a um, centenary celebration in the middle of the city for the Contuba Christian Convention, a big convention that um, does all these sorts of conferences up in the Blue Mountains. It's been going for a long time, over 100 years now, and they were celebrating that. And the principal of my Bible college was in the town hall there in Sydney, um, powerfully preaching the gospel. He's a really fantastic preacher. And uh, it made the hair stand on the back of your neck. Like it was an incredible moment. You know, thousands of people there, right in the middle of the city, in the jaws of Babylon, fearlessly proclaiming Christ. And we were raising the roof with our singing. And everyone felt so buoyed by the power and the beauty and the glory of the gospel. And I went out of that town hall on a high and I walked across the road and up the street and there under a fluorescent light outside of 7-Eleven was a guy with a little keyboard set up and he was singing Christian songs and he was wanting to evangelise passers-by so he was singing about the glory of Christ with his little Casio keyboard and I just kind of crossed over to the side of the road and just tried to avoid the guy because it just seemed so weird. And so feeble and embarrassing. And I don't know, I just, even though he didn't know me and I didn't know him and I didn't have to acknowledge him as I walked by, I just, it felt cringy to me and I wanted to be not part of that. And isn't it crazy how like a minute before that, I was thinking, yeah, preach it, brother, as the principal of my Bible college proclaimed Christ in the middle of Sydney. And I, you know, a minute later, here I am uh, thinking, how embarrassing is this? Now, there, it might be partly right, right? But that's just a picture, isn't it, of how we so often feel. The gospel feels embarrassing. It seems feeble. It feels like it lacks power. It won't be well received. I don't want to make myself look silly. I don't want to talk to people about Jesus unless they're ready. That's what we think they will say. Unless they're ready. Unless we feel that it will be well received. And, you know, there, is, there are times that are described in the New Testament where we shouldn't keep banging on about the gospel. You know, in 1 Peter it talks about, um, you know, the wife who's a Christian and the husband who is not a Christian, um, who's heard the gospel and has rejected it for the time being. And it says there to commend the gospel, adorn the gospel by the way you conduct yourself as a wife. Try and win him over, your husband over, just by your good deeds. But remember, in that context, he has heard the gospel, he's heard it, he just has rejected it. So now, what do you do? And so, that's not actually a verse saying you just tell the gospel to people when you know it's going to be well received. In fact, it's the other way in the New Testament, it keeps, it, 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 it keeps on pushing us and encouraging us to tell the gospel whenever we have opportunity, make the most of every opportunity. Uh, It says that we are to always be ready, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. It's not saying there primarily be equipped, like, you know, study up so you can give an, no, it's saying be willing, be willing. When there's an opportunity to speak of the hope that you have in Jesus, be willing to speak up. But so often, um, it seems, doesn't it, that we're not in a season when the uh, gospel will be well-received, but you know what it's saying in 2 Timothy? Preach the word in season and out of season. But why? When we know it's not going to be well-received, when hearts are hard... When people don't want to hear it, why do we preach to the heart of heart? Why do we herald to the heart of heart? And uh, that's why we're looking at at Isaiah 6 here this evening, because it helps to answer that question. Why do we keep banging on about the gospel? And the first thing you'll notice here in this uh, chapter 6 of Isaiah is that we herald to the heart of heart because we're all heart of heart. That's why we herald to the heart of heart. We're all hard of heart. If we didn't preach to the hard-hearted, no one would have ever preached the gospel to me. But they did, and that's how I became a Christian. I'm so thankful that they were willing to preach to the hard of heart. It started, actually, in a supermarket car park with my sisters who'd become Christians, and it took me years after this to become a Christian, but my first conscious my, my first moment when I was, when I was conscious of being evangelised was my sisters berating me in a, uh, a supermarket car park while mum was doing the shopping. Um, and perhaps because it was hot in the car, they were thinking that my mind wouldn't be right and I'd be more receptive to the gospel, I don't know. But they were, they were banging on, J- Stuart, why don't you believe? Why won't you become a Christian? And I was just like, I don't know, just go away. I, I wasn't receptive at all. But it did sow the seeds. All these people around me constantly talking to me about Jesus. And I'm so thankful now that they did. We held to the heart of heart because we are heart of heart. Look here in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through to 5. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. This is Isaiah, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There's a quote here that will come up on the screen from Mahatma Gandhi and it says this, Man's nature is not essentially evil. Brute nature has been known to yield to the influence of love. You must never despair of human nature. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that brute nature, we're not essentially evil because brute nature has been known to yield to the influence of love. We as human beings have a real capacity for good. And it is absolutely true, there's something in that observation, it's true, isn't it, that it's true and we've already experienced ourselves that Our our better nature, our desire to be good, can at times override our desire to be bad or to do the wrong thing. We've experienced that ourselves and we've seen it in other people. When we look around at just other people at a horizontal level, I I think I can understand why people think that human beings are inherently good or naturally good and we're just a bit rough around the edges. We're all rough diamonds. We want to be good, but we're not always... Um, great at it. We trip up. We make mistakes. That's how we like to describe it. We make mistakes. No one's perfect. We make mistakes. And it's true, isn't it? From a biblical perspective, we know that God has made us in his image. And even though we are fallen image bearers, we are still image bearers. We are corrupted image bearers, but we're still image bearers. And so we just have this built-in desire to do good and be good because that is the way that God has made us. But the Bible nonetheless says that we are at cause sinful. That even though we desire to do good and have some capacity for good, every part of our being has been corrupted and spoiled by sin. So nothing is ever purely good that we do. And what's more here, what we see is Isaiah being convinced of his unholiness, not because he considers himself a particularly bad egg among God's people there in Jerusalem, not at all. No, it's because what? Because he's seen God himself. And that's where all human beings can really get a proper estimation of self. Not before our peers, not before the people we rub shoulders with, But before our creator God, when we come face to face with our creator God, that is when we actually get we are not good. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There Isaiah is seeing this vision and he's struck to the core by the fact that he is not holy. What is holy? One definition is separate. God is separate, separate, separate doesn't quite capture it does it <laughs> it's a part of what the word means but what, what it's trying to get at is God is entirely other he is not a creature we are creatures he is the creator and something that always blows my mind about good God and which has really changed my perspective on the world that we live in once I really got this is that God is not good as in there's a category over there, an objective category, right, somehow in the universe, which is just good that everyone can sort of see and chill it, and that God ticks all the boxes, therefore he's good. No. Why does, God, why does good exist in the universe? Why is there any good? Because it came from God. God doesn't come in under the category of good. Good comes from God. God defines what is good. God gives us the capacity built into us, wired into us, so we too can perceive, even dimly, what good is. Can you imagine actually walking into the presence of sheer goodness, the origin of goodness, and trying to hang on to this idea that I am completely good? That we've rejected the one who has made us with this capacity for goodness? But the Bible says more than that it's not that God is just good and good actually comes from him, he is the source of good, it says that he's love. He's so good that the best description, the right description of God, at essence, is love. Not only does he not do what is wrong, not only is he in no way corrupted, he is always perfectly, beautifully, powerfully, thoroughly good. He's always loving in everything he does. And Isaiah stands up before this God and goes, woe is me, I can see it. While I'm looking at my peers, my friends, my fellow human beings, I can't see it. I mean, I kind of know it in my head, but now I see it. And my friends, that's what often it takes to really understand what it means to be a sinner in need of a saviour, is to know, you know, hang out with God. Hang out with Jesus in the New Testament. That is my advice to all of you, no matter where you are in relationship with God. Dive deeply into his word and just taste and see how good God is. It'll do a world of good for my soul and your soul. I remember one time, just for a bit of light relief, pretty bit intense in here. So one time um, when I was in high school... Um, I grew up loving the water. I love water sports, swimming. Um, uh, I had friends at primary school who, who swam and they did training and I'd swim with them. I was did pretty well. Went to high school. In our high school year seven swimming carnival, uh, I, I did really well and I, I won the 100 metres freestyle. So I went to the inter. Yep, this pause. I will receive it. I will receive it. So, um, so we went to the inter high. No, stop it. No, 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 stop it. Stop it. Yeah, I uh, yeah, you. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, no, so I went to the Inter High um, swimming carnival and I remember getting up for the, the hundred meter freestyle and looking at the you know the the other people on the blocks besides me and they they didn't look to me like they're in great shape. Let's just say a lot of them were rather rather portly. I thought I'd got this in the bag. At, at that point I wasn't at all portly myself. <laughs> so um, uh, you know the whatever went off and we all jumped in and we are racing and I remember uh, you know I was, I was neck and neck and I could see the body and the water churning up next to me and then I thought I, would, I think I've, I, I could just get this and then I just focused hard on that black line, you know the bottom of the pool and just got my head down, and just really got in there and then and then and then I, um, and then I did, did a tumble turn, that's right. Yeah, so I did a tumble turn and came back for the, 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 home, the home straight, the 50. Just got my head down, I don't know how far up, maybe halfway up. I just dared to take a glance and I, I couldn't see any bodies, no churning. And I thought, I am killing it. And I, hit the, I hit the wall and I was about ready to jump up and celebrate. And then everyone else was already there. Some people were, some people were climbing out, I kid you not. I was completely demolished. And what's that got to do, not a whole lot actually to do with Isaiah 6, but uh, a bit of a a light story to say that we don't really know, do we? We can't assess self by just our peers who we hang out with. And it's, it's really hard being here in Australia in this context, just receiving our news, not even having a global perspective, right, of what's going on. We are really hopelessly blind. It's no good comparing yourself to others. Your neighbours, the people we just rub shoulders with day to day. No, come before God if you want to know whether Mahatma Mahatma Gandhi is right or wrong. Come before God, not another human being. So we held to the heart of heart because we are all heart of heart. And God demonstrates in the messenger that this message is for the heart of heart. That's why it's so important for us to be heralds in this world because we're just fallen sinners like everyone else that we're proclaiming the good news To Look here in in the rest there of Isaiah uh, Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. He's gone from I am ruined to send me. God makes us holy, us sinners that we might be vessels that bring salvation to this world. So we held to the heart of heart because we are heart of heart and it's important that the messenger represents who the message is for. Why do we herald to the heart of heart? Because it brings judgment. We held to the heart of heart because in part it brings judgment. Look here in the next few verses. He said, Go and tell this people be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, their their eyes, (laughs) hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Just see what he's saying there. Go and... He's not just saying, just say to them, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. What he's saying is, yes, say that along with all this prophecy that we have written in this book called Isaiah. He's taking this whole message to the people of God there in Judah, in Jerusalem. And part of it is this. Be always hearing but never understanding. Be always... Seeing but never perceiving. He's meant to herald God's hope for Jerusalem in such a way that God's people are actually brought to judgment. Now, what I want to do, what I want you to do with the person next to you, just for say a minute, is discuss this question. Is Isaiah the prophet According to these verses here, is he making people's hearts hard? Or is he revealing their hardness of heart? Got the question? Is Isaiah commissioned here to make people's hearts hard? Or is he revealing their hardness of heart? So yeah, go for it. (laughs) Okay. So let's just do the vote thing again. It's good to wrestle. It's good to wrestle. It's good to wrestle with scripture, right? That's why I'm asking you the question. I want, you to take, want to take you with me into the text. What's it really saying? So let's go. We're going to vote for, I'll ask you in a second, but this is what we're voting for. Is Isaiah making their hearts hard or is he revealing their hardness of heart in his preaching, right? They're the, they're the two options to vote for. So number one, is Isaiah preaching to make their hearts hard? Who's going to go with that one? Okay, yeah, Um, a few, a brave few. Okay, so I know where the rest are going, I think, unless you're just going to sit on the fence. So who's voting for Isaiah reveals their hardness of heart? (laughs) <laughs> and so who's going for both? I think I saw a bunch of you put up your hands twice a day. Okay. And who's, who just wants to sit on the fence? Who wants to just not make a vote? Yeah, that's probably very wise in this situation, yes. Um, well, let me say that I think it's primarily, and I'm going to take you with me on this journey in a minute, but I think it's primarily the latter. I think primarily what is happening here is Isaiah is revealing their hardness of heart. But I saw curiously who is very well thought through theologically, scripturally, putting up her hand for the first one, and it gave me pause for thought. So now I'm <laughs> doubting myself. Now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> so for an alternative view, go and talk to Kirli afterwards. So, so no, But this is why I think it's primarily um, the latter, that Isaiah is revealing their hardness of heart. First of all, and I've got a really good one here, first of all, it's because it's what the apostle Paul says. Boom! That's even better than Calvin. So let's go here <laughs> to let's go here to Acts 28. Acts 28. And uh, oh my gosh, there's so much food for thought here in Acts. Acts is this book which tells the history of God's gospel going to the nation after Jesus commissioned his disciples to be witnesses to the world. And so it's so helpful because it just covers so many different dynamics and obstacles and the reality of taking the gospel to the world. So it's really worth studying. And look here, it starts with this upbeat excitement, the Holy Spirit being poured out, the the disciples being sent and being scattered as well, and they gossip the gospel wherever they go. Right, and look where it ends. It ends in chapter 28 with Paul in house arrest with chains on in Rome, preaching the gospel to Jews who were coming to visit this guy because they'd heard all about him and wanted to know what on earth he's going on about. And the majority of them, it seems, dismissing it. They come to hear what he has to say and they, he, they dismiss it. And this is what Paul concludes in Acts 28, verses 25 onwards. They disagreed, that is, the Jews, among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he, when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to, his, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. So what do we make of this difference? Back in Isaiah, it's pretty clear, isn't it? He says to Isaiah, go and make their hearts hard. Go and make them blind to the truth. Isaiah, you go and do this through your preaching. Here it's saying, Paul is saying, he's quoting Isaiah, and he's saying what it actually says is that your hearts were hard. And you couldn't see. Otherwise, you would have been saved. So what is it? What's going on? Well, I think what we have in Isaiah is the means by which God is choosing to reveal their hardness of heart through Isaiah's preaching. He's saying, these people are already hard-hearted. They have resisted my word every step of the way. You go and confirm it. Keep preaching to them. And so their hardness of heart is made even harder. That's what he's saying, reveal their hardness once and for all. So in that sense, Isaiah is making them hard of heart, right? But really what he's doing in that is revealing the hardness of heart that was always there. And the other reason I say it is that in in Isaiah chapter 7, we have an example of precisely what what Isaiah has just been commissioned for. By God, and here you'll see that it's a situation where a hard heart is revealed. So in chapter 7, we have this situation where is it Ahaz? Ahaz is now the king of Jerusalem in Judah. And we talked last week about what a shamozzle it all was. God's people were in a complete mess. They weren't faithful. They weren't the faithful remnant that Isaiah is looking forward to that is critical for Zion coming to fruition. They are not that. They are in a spiritual mess. And here is Ahaz, this king of Jerusalem, and the northern part of Israel, which is split away from the southern part of Israel, which is he's ruling over Judah, They've come and attacked him, Jerusalem and Judah, along with Assyria. Nothing to do with God's people, a superpower at the time. They've both come and attacked Jerusalem. It hasn't worked. And now Ahaz is freaking out. And he's thinking to himself, what I've got to do then is I've got to make a deal with the northern kingdom, Israel. and I've got to make a deal with Assyria so they'll leave me alone and allow me some sort of independence. Now, Isaiah comes, right, having been commissioned by God to go and speak with him. But Ahaz is such a coward and hiding from God so much and doesn't want to be seen with the prophet, the truth teller, that he meets with him in secret. Isaiah, by the way, brings his son along with him. So this is a really funny situation, I think. <laughs> Come along, son. I'm going to show you something really amazing. And he's going, cool, let's go to work with dad. And he takes him, and his name is Isaiah's son's son's name is Shear Jashub. She Jashub. or however you say it. But it means the remnant will return. That's the name of your son. I think that's so cool. I want another child now, just so we can call him or her remnant. This is my daughter, Remnant. I just think it's a kick-ass name. For no, it's got nothing to do with anything. I just think it's very cool calling call your kid Remnant. <laughs> so he takes his son along with him called Remnant. The remnant will return. And he goes to Ahaz and he says, Ahaz, don't you dare, effectively, don't you dare compromise. God is your king. He looks after you. He'll protect you. Just be faithful to him. Trust him and he will look after you. Hang in there. And Isaiah says, Ahaz, ask for a sign. Because God wants to show you beyond any reasonable doubt that he's behind you, he backs you. And then Ahaz goes, such a coward. He goes, oh, I would never put the, the Lord, my God, to the test like that. He's just looking for ways to justify his lack of trust. He's not needness. And then Ahaz says, yeah, well, God's going to give you a sign anyway. And he's not impressed that you've tried to thwart this call to trust in God. And Isaiah says, because God is him to say this, there will be a child born of a virgin here in Jerusalem. That could just mean young girl, uh, uh, a child born of a young woman. And his name will be Emmanuel. And I won't go into all the details, but basically saying there's this kid, his his name is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And a fierce judgment is going to come on you and Assyria and Jerusalem and you Ahaz in Jerusalem uh, 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 because you didn't trust me. But this kid, Emmanuel, he will stand in the rubble. And this kid, I'm going to protect him. Well everything else is falling around, falling down around him. even you, Ahaz, you will fall, but this kid will stand. And that's a sign to you that God is here, and He will protect the faithful. And so here we have right, an example right after chapter six, of Isaiah doing exactly what he was commissioned for, right? preaching the good news, God is here to comfort you in order to reveal the hardness of Ahaz's heart. He was the king of Jerusalem. If there was anyone who should have been the faithful remnant or part of the faithful crew, it should have been him. How long should I preach for, says Isaiah? How long do I have to keep preaching like this? And look what it says here. It says in the next uh, few, few verses. Verse 11. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But... As the terebinth and oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. How long does he preach for? Well, he's also preaching to bring salvation and he preaches until he digs down, till he gets to the faithful remnant. And who is the faithful remnant? This holy seed. Now to us that reads uh, probably quite clearly as a, a messianic prophecy, a, a signpost to the coming Jesus, like you know the, the holy seed. But the difficulty here with uh, the Old Testament is, is in the original language. That could be plural or singular. So it's messing with their head. So keep preaching until you know all the all the dross is cleaned away, until all the faithless are washed away by your preaching, until all the hardness of heart is revealed, and Jerusalem is brought right down to its knee. And the only thing that is left is the faithful remnant that'll help rebuild and bring Zion to us. Preach until that happens. We herald to the heart of heart to bring judgment, but also to bring salvation. But what is this holy seed? Is it a really small bunch? Is it a single? Well, there's a hint there, right, in, in Isaiah chapter 7. This one child, Emmanuel. Not absolutely clear, but there's a hint. One child, Emmanuel, will stand as the person who is showing that God is with us. And then we get to the New Testament. What does it say? It says there, doesn't it, Matthew, Jesus is Emmanuel. We have found the faithful remnant. And to bring us all together, what's fascinating about Jesus, right, is that when he tells that parable about the... The soils, do you remember that one? He tells the parable about the soils, like you know, the, the, the farmer goes out and sows the seed and falls on different types of soils. And then, and then I don't know if it's the disciples who bring it up or if Jesus asks them, do you understand what I'm talking about? I think they come to him and ask him, what does that mean? And then he quotes Isaiah that we've just read. And he says, ah, always seeing but never perceiving. Always hearing but never understanding. He's saying that to his disciples and what he's saying there is the reason you don't understand this parable and all that's going on in my teaching is because you're heart of heart. You're spiritually blind. But then what does he go on to say? Then he goes on to explain the parable to his disciples and here is the point. The faithful remnant, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ is the one who illuminates the dark heart. He is the one who makes the sinner to see. The faithful remnant, Emmanuel, the one. He is the one who works in the hard heart to bring them to salvation. That's the point. That's how it all comes together. We preach to the heart of heart because we are hard of heart. To bring judgment and to reveal people's hardness of heart. And that they might be saved from their hard heart by the one Jesus Christ. And that's why we preach rain, hail or shine. Because until Christ works, actually the gospel is never received. But Jesus delights to, to work in all sorts of weird wonderful situations. So we just keep on heralding proclaiming Christ. your son's name. I mean, let me pray. Uh, Dear God, I thank you for your salvation. We thank you, God, that it's not on us to be the faithful remnant. We thank you that we have the seed, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, who is the only truly faithful one. We thank you that you've sent him and we thank you that through his work you've softened our hearts. Help us as people who've received generously from you to go
0: out and be generous to others. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.